Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 54 of Conquering Columbus. Uh, we got a great guest for you today, Mr. Joe Anstein of Prior Auth Now. And he's got a great story about how he built his company and started out with a product that maybe wasn't a great fit and built it into something that all of his customers were asking for. We think you'll enjoy this episode a lot, and it'll teach you a lot about how constantly working towards your goals and continuous iterations will always lead you to the right answer. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we've got Joe Anstein, and uh, Joe graduated from Ohio Wesleyan University with a degree in economics management, where he was also a member of the men's varsity soccer team. He spent some time at uh, various roles, including as a senior managing partner 
for uh, BI Voyage uh, before co-founding his current company, Prior Auth Now, in 2014. And uh, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Joe. And sorry if I mispronounced the last name. Was that correct? It's close. Oh, it's Stein. But it's Stein. It, it gets I was going to go one way or the other, and that's all good, I chose man. wrong. It's Semantics. Good. That's right. I, <laughs> trust me, I, I've been called worse. So, so kind of let's kick it off. We like to talk a little bit about what your current day in your life looks like, and then we'll kind of bring it back and cover a little bit yeah. about how you got to where you are and then kind of what you're doing today with prior auth. Sure. It's definitely changed. So um, typically um, I'll be in the office by about 6.30 in the morning. Um, I like getting in early just because it's sort of the only part of my day where I can focus on the sort of planning and what actually has to get done in terms of prioritization. Um, we talk a lot around here about ruthlessly prioritizing. Uh, there's so many things that are sort of flying in from left field and going on. You really have to, to, to understand if I could get one or two things done today, what would those be? So that's why I come in early because as if you try and do it throughout the day, uh, you obviously get pulled to the side. Um, but a lot of planning early on just to sort of understand what's ahead of us and what we have to get done. Um, and then every morning we have uh, our tech team does a stand-up. So we'll start with a 10-minute stand-up, sort of what's on the plate, any impediments, uh, anything else we need to sort of take as a sidebar. We also have a, a business stand-up right after that, and then a support stand-up right after that. Um, so, you know, after those stand-ups are complete, we sort of have an understanding of what's going on. Um, every day of the week, we have a different theme meeting. Uh, so Mondays and Thursdays is transactions, Tuesdays and Fridays is product, Wednesday is revenue. Um, so that's, those meetings are typically about 40 minutes long and we're just sort of getting a health check on where things are at, what should we should be discussing, uh, what's coming down the pike. Um, again, more planning specific to the things we really care about, which again, transactions, product, and revenue. Those are, those are sort of the, the three big themes. Um, a lot of my day right now um, has it's sort of evolved. Um, you know, early on when we were just a handful of people, I had my hands in everything. Uh, now we're about 37 people, and I've started replacing myself in a lot of those roles. So I went from sort of a doer to sort of a manager of people now. So I manage people in process as opposed to doing everything, which for somebody who likes doing everything like me does get a little challenging at times. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe and trust in the people I've hired to do their job. So I'm really there to trust and verify and help out when I can. So the biggest change for me over the past you know, six months has been from running around doing everything to helping people become better in their current role, um, which it's been, it's been fun. The other area that I'm still very, very active in is customer facing. So I'm always out, um, you know, with our new CRO that we hired, Ryan Monin from Cardinal Health. So I'm always out in front of the customer, you know, whether it's big health systems or big payers or strategic partners. So a lot of my role uh, today is sort of uh, out in the field helping secure big contracts, develop strategic partnerships. Um, so that's, that's you know, from a, from a day-to-day, that's where we're currently at. And before we get too granular into what Prior Health Now does and kind of what your guys' mission is, maybe talk a little bit about, you touched about it a little bit personally, but what stage the company's at. And you talked sure. a little bit about how you're transitioning from really working in the company, kind yeah. of is what you said there, to working on the company. Yeah, <clears throat> I think the, the where we're currently at, as I like to say, we're, we're sort of, standing up on our own two feet and we're trying to take our first step. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, previously we were sort of running around with our hair on fire trying to figure out, you know, what our product was going to be, what our pricing model was going to be, 
Um, just sort of trying to create that identity that every company needs. Uh, we've really moved to more, um, really, we know what the world wants. Um, we know sort of what our product has to be now and into the future. Uh, so we're really laying out those, uh, those milestones. Uh, as well as, you know, we, we sort of have that identity. We know where we fit in the world. We know what our customers expect from us. Uh, we also know sort of our short-term strategy and our longer-term strategy. So a lot of what I mean by taking that first step is we're hypersensitive to execution right now. Uh, we're no longer sort of in that test and validate mode. Uh, we've really done all our validation. It's simply executing on the problem now, which is a very different stage um, than when you're early on, right? Because you're, you're early on, we took the approach of we wanted to make very little assumptions. We wanted to validate everything. You know, we, we were highly iterative on our product. We wanted to validate against our target market often uh, and frequently. Um, that's, we, we still, those are sort of our roots. We don't, we have never left those. Um, but, but now we're, we're much more focused on, okay, what has to be done to achieve those goals? Because we understand what the product is and where it's going and where it needs to be. And it's just all about execution in our, in our key strategic areas. So much more focused on um, what we have to do both in the short and long run, as opposed to sort of figuring things out on the fly um, and, 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 you know, wondering sort of where we're going to be. I, I always equate it to early on, we were sort of um, falling in the right direction and we'd get back quickly and then hopefully fall in the other right direction. We sort of now know, you know, we, we hope not to fall as much, but just sort of take steps in the right direction as opposed to, you know, tripping over our own two feet and figuring it out on the fly. We, we really have a, a much better understanding of our target market, what we, what we provide to that target market, and what we have to do to execute on, on the big opportunity in front of us. Yeah, so what I wanted to talk about a little bit is get, maybe get a little even more deeper into the woods here on, on how you started the company and those iterations you were doing. So what was the target market and what was the problem that you guys were targeting? Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So um, we're a little bit different than most companies. Uh, maybe not, I'm not sure. But I, where we started actually had nothing to do with prior authorizations. Um, I met uh, a physician. He's uh, my co-founder now. Uh, he came to me with the fact that there, um, things have changed in healthcare, as, as everybody, you know, obviously it's a, simply stating the problem. Um, but there's a lot of change in healthcare. One of the big trends was more and more of a physician, a provider, a hospital's revenue is coming directly from the patient. So my co-founder had approached me about creating a trans price transparency product. Um, so we had, you know, we, we subscribed to a very lean validation model thanks to our interactions at, at Rev1 who sort of taught us, hey, it's, it's better to go out and validate things before you start slinging code and trying to create a product. So what we did is, is we sort of created a high fidelity prototype that basically had no back end. Um, but what it was is it, it looked and felt like a product, even though it was nothing more than images, right? So there was no product. All it was was a high-fidelity prototype, no back-end, just the experience of what this product could be. Um, and again, it was focused on price transparency. We had always known that prior authorizations were going to be a part of the process. Uh, I'll never forget, I was literally sitting with one of our early, uh, I think it was our first developer, and we were talking about on that high fidelity prototype where to put the prior authorization piece. So we were sort of going back and forth. Do we leave it as a tab on the page so you could, in our demo prototype, you would see prior authorizations on the page, or we we're going to put it behind a, uh, as a field behind a drop down, right? So we were, we were sort of going back and forth, and we ultimately landed on let's leave it as a tab on the page. So in this lean validation, what you do is you you know you create the experience. We created the 
demo for a couple thousand bucks. And uh, we took it out. And because my co-founder was a physician, he was able to get us into an enormous amount of different physicians, front office and back office staff. So he would call up, say, hey, would you be willing to meet with us? I'd go in and show the demo. Right, so we had our first demo. We thought we were going to be, uh, you know, conquering the world. We were, you know, counting our billions already, and uh, we took the product out and um, we were showing, you know, our target market, the the front office and back office staff, as well as RevCycle uh, people within healthcare, and we were showing them this early product that was focused on price transparency, and you could tell the reception was lukewarm at best. I mean, they really were sort of trying to throw us a bone of what they liked about it and where we they saw value. But during those conversations, almost every time, or at least the very first time, they said, click on that prior authorization tab. I'm like, well, I can't, right? This is just a prototype. It's just a demo. We haven't mocked that piece out yet. I'm like, get back to what I'm showing you. This really cool price trade pair today. I talked about <laughs> cost and price. And they're like, yeah, 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 I don't really care about that. I'm more interested in that prior authorization thing. I'm like, you know, I left the first meeting thinking, these guys know what the hell they're talking about, right? So <laughs> I went to the next one and uh, the same thing, showing the product, could care less, click on the prior authorization tab. But after 50 times of this, I realized, holy smokes, prior authorization is the big problem. But think about that. Had we put prior authorization as a field behind the dropdown, they never would have saw it on the page. They never would have asked me to click on it. And I never really would have found out, or maybe I would have, but it would have taken a hell of a lot longer, that prior authorization was the big problem. What we were there to solve was, was again, received lukewarm at best. You know, some of our COO jokes, the product sucked, right? And I, and I somewhat believe them now. But, but that, that one small decision sort of altered our fate or altered the direction of the company because we chose to leave it on the demo. It's weird how small situations like that will turn out and make such a big part into where you are today. But I think maybe I'm, I'm too concerned about it. I'm kind of curious, what exactly was the value of that initial product? Like you say price transparency, what does that mean in a more granular detail? Yeah, so the initial premise was the fact that we didn't think the credit score was a good indicator on whether or not the patient would pay their bill. We thought there was other influencers relative to specialty uh, type of care you're receiving that they wanted to actually, there was, there was different influencers and in that we would sort of be able to bring in, you know, this disparate sets of data and start to predict how likely you were to pay your bill and not how likely we were to pay it, but also look at starting to calculate pre-appointment costs, right? So we were, we were, we were really focused around price, right? Revenue, uh, understanding, you know, the, the original premise from my co-founder was, I don't have an idea of when someone walks through the door on whether or not they're going to pay me. I equate it to going to the grocery store, loading up my cart, and saying, bill me later, right? Uh, you have really no idea how much it's going to cost, and you have to try to figure out the back end, get it back to the patient, collect, right? Super inefficient, very fragmented. You know, it's similar to prior author, you know, no transparency, fragmentation, patients left in the dark. The same themes were in that product as, as prior authorization, but the problem with that product was, is we went too far from the status quo. We were asking them to make large leaps in terms of changes in workflow, um, large leaps in terms of experience of the status quo, how they act today. Uh, whereas there was a step in the middle that was a huge problem and something that they couldn't even get to where we were going until that piece was solved because that was the big blocker in the, in, in, in the workflow relative to pricing getting paid. So do you think that, I mean, maybe you guys are just a little too far ahead of the market. Do you think it's a product that you guys could roll out down the road? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, again, if you ask certain people within the company now who saw the product and knew the product, they say, absolutely not. Um, so do I think that product will ever come back in? That exact one, I do not. Uh, we have since 
uh, sort of moved on and, and realized that there were some assumptions that we made, knowing what we know now, that were what were just that they were assumptions. Uh, and that's actually we start to you know sort of peel the onion back. Uh, there was a lot more layers to that problem that need to be solved before we could jump there. Uh, I do believe that there is a version of what we were trying to solve that we could layer on into our current um, you know sort of mission, um, which is to create a modern workflow within healthcare um, that creates transparencies from all the additional parties. Um, we're using prior authorization as the beachhead for that, just because it's a huge problem, and we're able to get in. Uh, really become that modern workflow. And if we succeed and we hit scale from a prior authorization standpoint, that'll provide us the right to be able to layer on additional services to that workflow. And we do believe price and transparency, those are trends that aren't going away. Um, so at some version of that, we do think we could layer on within our workflow and ultimately solve somewhat of what we were trying to initially solve. But again, largely we were a little bit misguided and made too many assumptions. It really didn't know enough about our customer and the actual workflow. Uh, relative to the process we were trying to solve. Definitely. So let's dive into once you found, once you found um, prior authorization as the key issue that you were going to solve, starting to shift your product towards that and kind of the early stages of the of the company. Yeah. So that was a, some of the the facts that I flew over there um, is we had already received funding for that initial product um, from Rev One uh, as well as from Ohio Health. So we were in a unique position because I had received funding and we were starting to build this product that again was receiving lukewarm reception. But what I did was, is I went back to them and said, Hey, based on you guys believing in us, we took this thing out and we achieved success, but it's not the success you think we achieved. We actually found a bigger problem and a bigger opportunity. And I'm going to pivot the company and I'm going directly at this prior authorization thing. Now, luckily for us, we had always said that that was sort of on our roadmap, a thing that we were going to solve. Um, so it wasn't like out of left field. It wasn't like I'm, you know, shifting from price transparency in healthcare to now, you know, acquiring hotels. Right? <laughs> we were we were in the, we were kissing cousins of of what we were trying to solve, but we just said bigger opportunity, better product. So we had to do a little bit of a sort of a recalculation on how we were attacking things. But what didn't change is we didn't change our strategy. We, we, we sort of ate our own dog food and we said, we're going to go back to that lean validation model. I'm going to do the same thing I did with the first product. A couple thousand dollars, I'm going to take, I'm going to build a high fidelity prototype, no back end, and I'm going to take it out to those people who said, I like that, or come back to me when you have a prior authorization solution. So I did that. I created the, the initial prototype. We took it back out to those people who said that they were very interested if we were able to deliver that. And I showed up, knocked on the door. I was very proud. And I'm like, I'm here and I've got your prior authorization solution. So I whipped it open, started showing to them. And they're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, it's the prior <laughs> authorization solution you asked for. Like, no, 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 no. That's not right. That's not right. You know, you don't have the right feature functionality. You're approaching it wrong. The workflow is wrong. So what we did is, and, and this is, I just firmly believe this, you know, we are not an innovation company early on. We were an iteration company. And I, and I truly believe that was a, a big part to getting where we are now, which is just we, we iterated like crazy, right? That initial one, I, I got the feedback. And because, because it was just a prototype, I could actually go home and I could actually do all the tweaks myself that I learned, go back in a couple of days and say, now look at it. Like, well, you're still not hitting it. You're missing this, this, and this. Had we actually started writing code and had developers, it's very expensive and time-consuming to make those sort of sweeping changes, right? So we, it would have taken us 10 times as long 
to make those changes. But because we had this sort of prototype that was nothing more than images, I'm just moving stuff all around the screen in Microsoft Paint, believe it or not. I mean, honest <laughs> to God, this is nothing, there's no sort of sexiness to this prototype. It was literally Microsoft Paint, and I'm moving images around, and I take it back in. But we probably iterated, you know, close to 200 times, right, in a matter of, you know, three, four months, five months. So we're just iterating like crazy to the point where, you know, after, you know, over 150 iterations, I would take it into that very same place, and they're like, I want that. Right. I'm like, well, I can't give it to you. It's just a prototype. I'm like, ah, I hear you say you're using it in my office. I see it working. Give me that. I'll use it. Just leave that here. I'll use it. I'm like, I can't. I said, but what I can do is I can have you sign this MSA, services agreement, and um, when we build it, you'll be one of the first customers to launch to. So we literally used a Microsoft Paint prototype to get our first 20 customers. So then I used that leverage to go out and raise money. Uh, so we then went out and raised money and... Uh, hired a, you know, we knew we had all the signs early on that we were on to a huge problem. So I didn't staff up from a sales and marketing because I was, I was, I was, I was converting at a high percentage just myself going out. So we really invested early on in, in the development team and getting the technical infrastructure in place. Uh, so we went out and hired a full-time dev team and got our initial product out there. So that's, that's how we did it. And the idea of prioritization, like, it's not new to Columbus, correct? Like, how did what, what you guys are doing kind of differ from Cover My Meds, and then how did those ideas, um, whether they bounced off each other or separated from each other? Yeah, no, Cover My Meds, obviously, great company, uh, great founding team. Um, it's tremendous what they've done. Um, Cover My Meds focuses uh, exclusively on retail pharmacy. Um, we don't do retail pharmacy. We have, we've chosen to focus on medical and procedure prior authorizations. Um, so we focus on, um, you know, non-ambulatory side, um, the acute side of healthcare. So, you know, radiology tests, surgeries, uh, CAT scans, MRIs. So, you know, you think high specialty. So you think radiology, oncology, orthopedic, um, you know, those are some of the, uh, you know, labs, right? So <clears throat> the prior authorization... Is, is, is a large sweeping problem, right? Uh, Cover Our Meds was a trailblazer in solving on the retail pharmacy side. Um, but what that left was there's this super underserved market and a very immature market, both from a provider and payer standpoint, right? Most of things from a prior authorization standpoint on the medical procedure side are fax and phone call, right? There's very little built out from an electronic prior authorization uh, or sort of a workflow solution on the medical and procedure side. So um, very early on, we were, we, we were just solving completely separate markets, right? There really was no crossover whatsoever. Um, a, because you know, by the time we had started this, Cover My Meds was well on the way to being a leader in that space. Um, and then B, we started looking at you know, sort of the, uh, the, the other side of the equation, the, the medical procedures and surgeries, and, and we started you know, uncovering and pulling back the onion and figuring like, holy smokes, like they're still faxing things, right? They're still phone calls, right? You know, payer portals in their best markets are getting around 20% usage rates. So it was just, it was such an immature market, but it was a massive problem. Like when, when, when we have no issue going to a CFO, we, the minute you say prior authorization to a CFO, they automatically know what you're talking about and they automatically know it's a pain point. So we were just lucky in the fact that prior auth had bubbled to the top to every sort of healthcare leader because they had cost them both from an administrative as well as a denial perspective millions of dollars, you know, 
enormous amounts of money when you get to the large health system. So, um, you know, we, 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 we definitely, um, you know, made the decision early on to sort of separate church and state. Covenant Med's running retail pharmacy. We're tackling this over here, which is an enormous market, an enormous problem, and we could spend the next five years focusing on just that. Uh, which is our plan, um, to stay heavily focused on the medical procedure side from a prior perspective. And are the details of the problem the same in both industries? And, and if so, what are some of those details, I guess, without turning our listeners into like, you know, extreme experts on the topic, how do you kind of wrap your head around where the problem was in the beginning with the prior authorization? Yeah, um, I mean, the, 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 they really are, very, the, the workflows as well as the uh, even on the back end, the, the way you interact with the payer are very different, right? You have, um, you know, completely separate entities that will manage the um, pr- uh, medication prior authorization as opposed to the procedure and surgery. So, the, I mean, we didn't have to sort of create the dividing line. The dividing line was already there from a, from a market perspective. Um, we focused very heavily early on on the provider side of things, right? So... Uh, we focused on normalizing the experience for physician practices and hospitals, front office, back office staff, the people doing prior authorization, central scheduling, patient access. Those are all areas that are heavily involved in medical and surgery prior authorizations. They're not the ones dealing with the medication. So again, we, it, was a, it was a very easy divide for us because they're, just so, they're such separate processes. It's a separate portal, right? It's a separate payer, uh, it's a separate payer entity on the back end, right? There's just, there's a lot of division in those two. So it was very logical and easy for us. We didn't have to sort of go in and sort of explain, you know, we don't do retail, right? Just based on our target market, that, that, that wouldn't have got them going. That wasn't their buzzword was not medication. It was MRIs. It was surgeries, right? Those are two of the, the, the bigger pain points. It's, it's diagnostic tests, right? Those are the things. It was... Um, you know, home health, behavioral health, it was physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, I mean, all these sort of procedures as well as uh, tests and, and lab, and those were the things that they cared about. So from our perspective, we spent almost no time trying to differentiate ourselves from Cover My Meds, just because the target market we were focused on, there was clear division, there was no confusion. Yeah, I guess, I guess kind of where I was trying to go with the question was trying to understand more on, like, if I'm an individual that goes in and gets an MRI, where does the issue lie? Like, oh, who's authorizing? From there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's authorizing the? Yeah. Are we talking about the insurers? Or are we talking about my doctor who said, yeah, you can go get an MRI? Yeah. So we, we often we often consider ourselves Switzerland. Um, so we <laughs> sit we sit friendly in the middle between providers and payers. Um, so when you look at providers and payers, there there can often there's often a sort of antagonistic relationship between the two. There's always friction there. Um, and we, we did not pick a side saying we're going we're gonna to highly you know, tilt the, the, the value prop of our system to cater to providers. And we certainly didn't say that for payers either way. We, we really very early on said we're Switzerland. So if you go see a physician and you say you know, you're playing um, you know, pickup soccer game, right? You were sliding around like a, man, a madman and you decided to go in cleats up and you, know, you, you, you messed up your knee. So you go hobble into the... Uh, your doctor, and your doctor will say, wow, it looks pretty swollen. I'm going to go ahead and order you uh, an MRI of the knee, right? So what happens is prior to us showing up, what they would do is, is they would literally go right in order. They would fax it to the hospital, the hospital or wherever the rendering location, wherever you're going to get the MRI. That person who received it would call the payer and say, is this, as patient have benefits? Is a prior authorization required? 
the payer would tell them, yeah, prior authorization was required. Then that person at the hospital would call back the physician office and say, you need to get a prior authorization for this. The physician practice would then pick up the phone, call the payer to initiate the prior authorization. They would take the patient information, codes, demographic information, and they would say, yeah, well, this is pended for medical review, i.e., a nurse or clinical person had to actually look at this to make sure that the procedure was medically necessary. So how the physician practice got in those clinicals is they would go to the fax machine. First, they would go to the EMR, they'd print it off. They'd go to the fax machine, and they'd fax it into a big black hole at the payer side. No clue if the payer got the clinical. They wouldn't hear from the payer in days. So it, it, this process was, on average, three to five days, right? So they're, they're waiting, unsure of what's going on. They would either get a fax back on their fax, they'd have to be walking by and, oh, there's a fax. Or they would get mailed a letter sometimes, right, to get alerted that this sort of thing happened. Meanwhile, the, the, the hospital is calling the physician practice constantly. Did you get the authorization yet? Did you get the authorization yet? Did you get the authorization yet? Because the hospital will not do the MRI without the authorization. So finally, they call back and they provide the hospital with a number, right? It's a authorization approval number. Well, the challenge with that, the hospital has no idea the stipulations around it, right? They don't understand it because oftentimes when you get an auth, it's within between this, this, and this date. They didn't know that, right? How do they know that they're actually, um, you know, on the schedule or they authorize the right codes that they're actually going to be doing at the hospital? If those codes don't match, when the hospital goes to submit the claim and they match, it's a denial. They're not getting paid, right? So when I, when I say this is a big problem... If you were able to follow <laughs> wrong with me, it's convoluted and fragmented. So it's, I, I made it sound simple compared to actually watching people do this. Mm -hmm. So what then happened is then we showed up, right? <clears throat> and we said, not only will we automate the process, meaning we'll let data flow directly from your EMR into our application to create the case. We'll tell you whether or not a patient has benefits. We'll tell you if the patient is a, if the procedure you're trying to get is a covered benefit. We'll tell you if a prior authorization is even required. And we can largely automate that data flow without a human touching it. We're removing entire workflows at hospitals. So that process I told you where the payer fax or the provider faxes the information to the hospital and the hospital picks up the phone and calls to see if they have benefits to see if a PA is required, we're removing that entire process, right? But because of our early days, we focused on the target market. We didn't just focus on sort of automating the prior authorization process between provider and payer. One of the most fragmented processes or broken processes between the physician practice requesting and the rendering location. So one of the things we did is we create transparency throughout the entire supply chain. So the moment a physician initiates an authorization to the payer, we share that data with the rendering facility. So they now can see it. They understand, oh, there's a procedure coming and here's the status of the authorization. They can follow along. They can see all the details relative to it. They can make sure that the the code that that practice is authorizing matches what they're on the schedule to actually be performed, right? And then there's now an audit trail. Never before it's in people's heads on sticky notes in cabinets with stacks of papers, right? Now it's all digitized. Everything's time and date stamped. They know that the payer received it. They know what was sent. They know if the payer responded back. They have all that information. So when you think of us, we're really connecting the entire PA landscape, everything from the physician practice, to the rendering facility, you know, the hospital or the surgery center, to the payer, to the patient. We're sitting right in the middle, we call ourselves, again, Switzerland, um, because we're really normalizing or providing significant value to, to all parties, uh, you know, across the entire supply chain. 
Well, the issue now is that you guys took away the only customers of fax machine makers. <laughs> so what are those people going to do? <laughs> Um, so I guess kind of what I'm curious about is this is kind of like a really, like you said, convoluted, fragmented process. You had to wrap your mind around it. Where does your background come in and how did you kind of, I mean, you guys iterated, iterated, so you probably iterated yourself until you understood everything and the way that it should be done. I'm yeah. assuming, um, part of what you said there was you kind of watched it happen. So did you tour some physicians and some... Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's interesting when I, when this first concept came up, um, well, actually, let me take a step back. So prior to this, I owned a company called BI Voyage. It was a data analytics company. And um, we were sort of very horizontal in our solution offering, so we had customers across all industries. And um, it was big boil-the-ocean type uh, analytic implementation. So we would go into places like NASDAQ, Comcast, Tim Hortons, um, you know, these big companies and we would, we, would, we would aggregate all this disparate information and optimize it for reporting uh, and, and trying to understand and answer business questions. Um, but what, what we learned in doing that was the fact that that's not what the world wanted. They didn't want these you know, projects that would take nine months to get a single report out, right? What they wanted was a point solution that solved a specific problem that could be scaled across the entire industry. And we were, we, we, we had, that company, we knew we had to pivot because you know the sort of that company's you know dropping eight hundred thousand or you know a million dollars on one project it wasn't happening right that's just that the days of those big contracts were few and far between on the product we were specializing so we knew how to pivot so we actually looked at several different industry problems we were trying to figure out which one to attack um, healthcare was was glaringly obvious just based on how manual and fragmented these processes were so. When we decided to go healthcare, a lot of the people, especially early on, investors, advisors, um, my biggest knock was I'm not a healthcare guy. Like I don't have a huge healthcare background. I don't come from a provider setting. Uh, I came from a technology company that you know did implementations across many industries. So when I initially went out, they're like, "What makes you think you're going to be able to solve this? You you don't have a healthcare background." Um, and it's funny because looking back, I think that was my biggest advantage um, because if you look how a lot of software companies are created it's somebody who's sort of a life longer in that industry and they go and create a solution specific to their use case because that's what they know right it's sort of their innate bias relative to how they try and solve this problem i didn't have that so even if i wanted to i couldn't sit back and create a product that i think the world wanted i couldn't i didn't have the privilege or the right to make assumptions because i didn't know so it literally forced me to go out and validate every single thing, right? And I can't tell you that if I had known some of those questions, that I would have said, eh, I'm not going to go. I, I know this is right. But I couldn't do that. I didn't know anything. So I literally had to get out there, and that's where those iterations really started to help, which is a weird moment for me now because I look back, and you know, we're just under two years at this thing. And you know, when I go into places, they're, act, they're, they're talking to me like I'm the expert. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm like a year and a half ago, you know, I barely knew what a prior authorization was, right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not somebody who comes in and likes to stand on a soapbox and oh, I knew, I didn't know Jack, right? <laughs> I went out there and I started talking to the customers and I just immersed myself in this problem and I, I was just, I was ruthless in wanting to solve it because I saw how big the problem was, and I just was a sponge, right? And I just literally listened, which is I think 
one of the most things I've learned across this entire process is I've become a phenomenal listener. Having a wife and four kids helps with that. Um, <laughs> but um, I was forced to be a listener because if I went in and talked, I'd miss you know just nuggets of amazing information that I wouldn't get otherwise. So I, you know, I think the fact that I didn't have that healthcare background was one of my biggest advantages throughout the entire process, which is ironic and sort of paradoxical when you think about that was my biggest knock early on was, why am I going to fund you? You don't even know what you're talking about, right? But it turned out to be my, my greatest advantage or one of my greatest advantages. You know, I, I don't know why, but this whole time when you're talking about all these iterations and all these times your customers are saying, no, try it again, come back. I've just been thinking of that scene in Miracle. Have you seen the movie Miracle with, uh, it's about the hockey team? Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. He's, he's sitting on the line just blowing the whistle going, again, again, yeah. somebody gets the right answer. Yeah. Like, that's just what I'm imagining in my head. Your customers just keep sending you away. No, 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 no. Yeah, Come back. It, it was it was very much like that. I mean, so. it was it was, but the thing is, is that I I had never had so much fun, mm-hmm. because the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people are are sort of afraid to put themselves out there and say this is what I think the solution is. Right? Again, I had the advantage I had to because I couldn't tell mm-hmm. you that was right or wrong, so I had to. So I had that sort of pushing me. But the funny thing is, is when you go to people and you and you talk to those who are the quote unquote experts, you know, it's amazing how much they open up to you and they will really help and they want to help. They want to lend a hand and say, look, I've been doing this for a long time. Here's what I've learned. You know, they'll, they'll literally, you know, they, they, I don't know if it's the, I don't know what it is, but there's just, you know, what I learned is just going out and asking people and, and not going in like you know everything or that you're the expert and being vulnerable, which is very hard when you're trying to start a business. You don't think vulnerability, but it, it was amazing how much they opened up and how much they would tell me about, you know, the problem and how to solve it and, and what they thought uh, we needed to do in order to help them with their process. And, and that's ultimately how I took it was, look, I'm here to help you, right? I think we have the tools and we have the capability to be able to help solve this problem, but I can't do it alone. I need the people who do this to buy into me, my vision, and the company and where we're going to really have a big impact. And, and, that's, and that's ultimately what we did is, you know, it's, again, on the line again, again, again. Um, that's exactly what it was. But it was fun to me. Like, it was fun you know, showing screenshots of my first, my, my first high fidelity prototype. It's hilarious to look at that and where the product is now. But I'm super proud of all that ground we covered and how much we learned and how we just, you know, we just kept at it. Just action, 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 right? I mean, that's just sort of, that's just how I approach life, really. And you seem like a pretty lighthearted individual who can kind of, you know, like your energy is high, charismatic, but... Were there any processes through there where you thought, maybe this isn't going to work, maybe I am chasing things down a rabbit hole? Or Every day. I, I mean, honest to God, I mean, if someone tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. Um, everybody has self-doubt, right? I, I mean, human, we're, you're, we're humans, we all suck at something, and when you're early on, it's just you and you have to be everything, there's certain things you're really good at and there's certain things I just sucked at, right? But, but I think the thing that sort of kept me going um, is the fact that I, I just, my previous company was one where it was very remote. I mean, we'd have remote consultants all throughout the country. And I wanted so badly to create a company and a culture where, you know, people wanted to be here. And it was, you know, sort of this team environment where we, we, people were like, I want to work for that company. I don't even know what they do. I don't know what that guy does, but I want to go work with that guy. Right? And I wanted to build that sort of culture and environment where, you know, it, it, it had nothing to do with, you know, sort of money or, or prestige or the fame or, you know, none of that, right? It was, 
here's a bunch of people that get in a room and they solve this big problem just because they believe in each other and want to go tackle it. And I so badly wanted to create that. And, and when, it, when I would have those thoughts where, you know, am I ever going to get there, right? Am I ever going to get it, it? just I kept thinking about, well, what's the alternative, right? Going to work for somebody else? No, never done that. Um, you know, going back to the company I had, which was remote and, you know, largely me and a few others, but there really wasn't that sort of, you know, team. Um, I just, I relentlessly went after what I wanted, which wasn't a great prior authorization product. That wasn't it. It was something bigger to create something where now I look across the room and I'm like, yeah, Mike Blackwell, my COO, I'd follow that dude into a burning building, right? And I think he would probably tell you the same thing, maybe. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but that, that sort of camaraderie is what I wanted so badly. And it had nothing to do with anything other than I wanted to have an impact. And I just got lucky in the fact that, you know, the problem we were solving can create enormous impact for patients, for physicians, for all of healthcare, really. Um, and I'm able to, to use that as sort of my, um, um, you know, sort of the, the stepping stone to achieve what I really want, which is, you know, a company where people want to come here. I'm, I'm helping people become better personally, professionally, and financially, right? That's sort of what I wanted. And when, when, when sort of the rubber met the road and things were really tough, I just kept envisioning that, as well as my kids, right? I got, th- I got four kids, three boys and a girl. And I so badly want them to be proud of me. And when it was, you know, those tough times, I'm like, all right, I got to be the cool dad and power through this thing and, and show them that, you know, my, there was nothing handed to us. We just, we, we powered through and we were a scrappy bunch and we just freaking got in there and we executed. And that's, that's, I just, again, kept focusing on, you know, those things that my motivation to keep pushing me along. You remind me a lot too of a friend that Mike and I have. His name's Travell Lognev. He's one of the coaches actually now. Um, when we wrestled at Ohio State, he was training for the Olympics and he's two-time Olympian. What he focuses on, like, now that he's a coach, he's helped a lot of the people on the staff, including... One of the guys who's already a gold medalist, kind of with like their mental state of mind in yeah. terms of competing at a high level, and what he says that he has them focus on is the entire process. So it's not about like having goals. Like says, don't even write your goals down. Really, don't really have these set milestones that you're working on. Just yeah. focus on every single moment that you're enjoying in the process of getting better and evolving. Yeah, man. I, and I it tell, seems like you have a lot of that. In I tell people that all the time. In fact, if you look at my phone, I just so our, our CRO came from Cardinal, and um, you know his first week here he's like i cannot believe how emotionally stimulating this place is you get the highest of the highs the lowest of the lows he's like this is just crazy right and i and I, I literally texted him and i literally said don't forget to have fun enjoy this process because there's many companies who have tried even to to, to get the sort of very small levels of success we've had many companies have tried to get here we, we're we've, we've sort of emerged from sort of the first pack, right? we got a long way to go to be considered any sort of success story. But you have to enjoy that first part, right? I mean, so many people have ideas that never, you know, make it, right? And we're, we're actually out here, we're standing, we have customers, we have revenue. Like, we should be really proud of that. And it's, you know, oftentimes you get so caught up in the minutia where you, you just, you aren't able to enjoy it. And, you know, when it's over, you look back, and you're like, damn it, I should have had more fun, right? And I should have enjoyed it more. And I, so I, I completely... Um, I don't know who that person is, but I, <laughs> I, I believe in what he's selling because it is so true. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of what I always say is, you know, stop saying I have to and say I get to, right? I get to do this, right? You, you know, right now we have, we, have, we have too many people in an office space, right? I'm doing demos in the lobby. I, was, I, was, I did a demo in the vending machine area because our meeting rooms are actually offices right now, right? I don't have to do that. I get to do that, right? That's a cool story that 
you know, we'll tell people forever. I, I can close a half a million dollar account in a vending machine area, right? Or I can do a demo in a car on the way to meet to a new customer. I've done all this, right? I've, you know, I've, 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 I've had last second demo changes right before we're about to go show a big hospital, right? I get to do all that and that's freaking fun and it's awesome and it's a great story and it's, it's, again, I don't feel like this is a job, right? It's like somebody got pinch up and I'm like, do I really have 37 people working here? Like, do, we, do I really get to come in here and, and be the CEO of this company? Like, it's just such a privilege to me, and I, I, I don't take a single second for granted. Yeah. And you can definitely see that, and, you know, like you said, you've got 37 people in here, and uh, I, was t- I was joking earlier, we might be approaching the fire code, uh, just based on <laughs> how many people are in here. Like, you can yeah. tell people are jam-packed in here just yeah. to work for you, so, and work for this company, so it's really exciting, but I think, you know, we're getting towards the end here, and one of the questions we always like to ask our guests is uh, centered around kind of the theme for the show, which is called Live Uncomfortably. Yeah. So what do you think of when you hear that phrase, and how does it apply to your life and your business here and your career? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an easy one for me. So I sort of have this internal rule where if someone asks me to do something and my first initial reaction is I don't want to do that, my rule is I have to do it then, right? So the moment, the moment like, you know, because you always have that first five seconds, someone says, I need you to go to meet with that customer. And you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Or someone will say, hey, I want you to go speak in front of 500 people. Or I want you to go, I don't care what it is, right? There's always that first thought of, do I really want to do that? And sort of my rule is when I, when it, and, and when it's based on sort of out of fear or uncomfortableness or I've never done that before, my rule is always, okay, I got to do it. And I hold myself accountable to that rule because it's, there's so many things in this business that I did not want to do. And had I not sort of subscribed to that sort of feeling of, okay, well, if I'm, if, if I'm afraid to do it or I feel uncomfortable doing it or I've never done it, I'm just going to do it. And that's sort of my rule. And I've just, again, subscribed to that over the past year and a half, uh, a little over a year and a half, and it's really paid out. I mean, some, some trust me, did not go great. I walked out of there thinking, i got to get a whole lot better at that before I do that again. But I was much better for it. And you know what? The second time I did it, I was better for it. So, um, you know, that, that's sort of the way I would prescribe that or – um, or would say how I sort of embody that in my day-to-day life here is just, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not putting a ceiling on what I'm going to do. And I'm okay, I'm confident enough to go out there and just put myself out there. And, um, you know, so, again, some things I'll, I'll do well and others I won't, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to go out there and do that. And even though I have those thoughts, it's I'm very action-oriented. They, they call me ready, fire, aim around here, not ready, aim, fire. So very action-oriented. And again, it's sometimes my greatest strength, but also my greatest weakness. But relative to, to that, I, you know, that's just sort of my internal rule. And that is one thing I've sort of stuck to, and it's worked out for me. Joe, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I know your time is uh, limited and you got to get going here, but I think it's pretty easy to see that this company's in good hands with you. And uh, we'll have to come back when you guys hit that $100 million and that billion-dollar valuation. And We'll have to map that out with correspondence to where the fax machine market is <laughs> at the time. Right. <laughs> no, this has been great, guys. I really appreciate you asking me to do it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you very much. Yeah, hey, we enjoyed it a lot, too. And uh, Conquerors, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Conquering Columbus. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you liked that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor. Check out that podcast app you're listening to us on and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout out to all of our incredible sponsors. 
And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.